Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. And uh, here's the foundational truth about the valley. Uh, you're going to walk through it. You've, you have likely already walked through a number of valleys in your life. Uh, and if you haven't, <laughs> just to bring you some encouragement this morning, they're coming. <laughs> you will experience valleys in your life. You'll experience seasons when you just feel so disoriented and confused and you're not really sure how to navigate and move forward. Times where, where the weight of that is just crushing and you're not sure what's next. Uh, you're not sure you'll have the strength to even make it through the valley. The valley, it's actually a, a very normal part of life. And my prayer is that as we've entered this conversation, my prayer is that we would come to know our God in the valley. Because like, like David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so there's an acknowledgement, a recognition that even though I am there in that place, God is also there in that place. And that's why I'm going to be able to make it through. And we can proclaim with David, you're, you're with me. Last week we talked about the valley of waiting and this week, uh, we're going to talk about the Valley of Depression. Uh, I want to be clear up front. I'm not a, a trained counselor or psychiatrist. I, I don't have the, the training or skill set that comes with those professions. Uh, depending on your, your faith background and your church upbringing, you, you may have different feelings about counselors and, and people that are in that profession. Um, I'm actually for that. I think that people can come alongside with with that schooling and those gifts and actually help people tremendously in dark places. Um, but I don't have that kind of training. What I, what I offer is uh, 15 years of being with the body of Christ in navigating the peaks and the valleys of life. And actually you have that experience too. It's something you have to offer because you have your own peaks and valleys. And as you engage with the body of Christ, what you have to offer one another is experience and story of trusting God in all of those places. Now, I have to confess, I'm not sure that we've always handled this topic in a way that's honoring and helpful. And I point the finger right here. I don't think I have always handled or addressed or come to this topic in a way that's, that's helpful um, or meaningful or caring. And, and if I pull back the curtain completely, it's because I don't always know what to do with the valley of depression. When, when waves hit it in my own life or when I'm walking with somebody that's there and I don't necessarily know what to say or what to do, that's, it's an overwhelming experience of being there. And so when you don't know what to do, it's, it's hard to even address the conversation, Right? And so to start, I want to I want to offer a couple of attitudes that I have had uh, over the years that have not been helpful. So I'm hoping you can kind of learn from my failings in ways that I've completely missed it. And and I when I share these things, it's ways that I viewed myself in these moments, but it's ways that I've tried to help others as well. So maybe you can relate to these. Maybe. Maybe you've been on the side of offering these attitudes, and I want to encourage you today, maybe they're not so helpful. Uh, or maybe, maybe you've been on the side of receiving these, and it's like, 
uh, please just stop, okay? So here, here's, here's a few attitudes that we can hold. Uh, one, uh, just press through it attitude. Or maybe uh, a better way to say it is just, just get over it. When you're struggling with, with the darker moments, when you're down in, in the valley of, of depression, just, would you just shake it off already? Just press through. When we're in that place, we want to get out of that place. So, so sometimes we think, I just turn up the drive and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of here. Or you're, you're sitting with somebody and you're like, just get out of there. Now, for those of you that have been in that place, and that's the encouragement that you've gotten, you don't have to say it, but I'll say it for you. You probably want to throat punch somebody in that space. <laughs> like, thanks, but no thanks. That's one attitude. Second attitude is uh, just think better attitude. Maybe if you get enough understanding, maybe if you get how the brain works, maybe if you understand the science of it all, you just, you'll understand your way out of the, the, dark, the dark places. Just think better. And, and this often comes out in like, oh, you're struggling with uh, depressive, here's a book. Just read this book and you'll get better. Or here's an article from the internet. Read this article and you'll feel better. Watch this YouTube video. Struggling? Just watch this YouTube video. It's all good. Just more knowledge is somehow going to be the thing that gets us out of, this is an attitude that we can have. Uh, Final attitude that proves to be uh, pretty fruitless is just ignore it. Just ignore it attitude. Maybe if we just act like it's not real, it'll just disappear. Maybe if we don't, don't look at it. Maybe if we just like stop looking at it, it'll magically go away, right? Uh, if you've experienced the ineffectiveness of some of these attitudes, uh, you're not alone. There's some valleys in life that we experience that, that do not have a quick answer, that will not be solved through better thinking, and that simply can't be ignored. Uh, according to the World Health Organization, approximately 280 million people in the world have depression. And they, and they define it as, this isn't just like I'm having a bad, one bad day. Depression is different from usual mood fluctuations and short-lived emotional responses to challenges in everyday life, especially when recurrent and with moderate or severe intensity, depression may become a serious health condition. It can cause the affected person to suffer greatly and function poorly at work, at school, and in the family. At its worst, depression can lead to suicide. Over 700,000 people die due to suicide every year. Suicide is the fourth leading cause of death in 15 to 29-year-olds. Now, I don't think that I need to convince you that, that this is something that is present. And it's not, depression is not something that's present in another city or another town. Like when you read stats on, on depression or you, it's, it is here. It's in this community. It's happening with our kids. It's affecting people. And so if this is widespread 
if this is having an impact, a negative impact on the world, like how, what do we do? As, as people of faith, as followers of Jesus, as a, a body of Christ, as a community that believes that, that there's a God that is above what we experience in this world, how do we navigate something like depression? Turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, I want to look at a bit of a case study here. And, and what's encouraging to me about the story of Elijah is that Elijah was a prophet. He was a man that was set apart by God to be his mouthpiece to his people. So this, was, this wasn't, this guy knew God really well. So if you know Jesus and you've been walking with him and you experience things like depression, there's not something wrong with you. If Elijah experienced these, these things, you with me on that? What I want to look at uh, together is how God cared for Elijah in his valley. Because if there's anyone that can show us how to care, hopefully we can trust our God to show us how to care, right? And the context of the story is that Elijah, he just experienced this epic battle with a false belief system. And you can read about it in 1 Kings 18. Uh, the story is about King Ahab, a, a guy who's supposed to be leading the people and, and the ways of God, and he's just led him into this like weird bell worship, and it's kind of gaining momentum and, and taking over and leading people away from the Lord. And Elijah is sent by God to confront Ahab and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And it, it's an amazing story. Uh, God shows up in power. I've actually walked on the hillside where they think this took place. If you go there now, you'll see this statue, this epic statue of Elijah with like his foot on a prophet's head and a sword in his hand. It's a little intense. Um, but, but there's a standoff between the prophets of Baal and God and, and God proves that he's the most powerful one. That's the story of 1 Kings 18. It, and it, there's some comic relief in the story because uh, as the Baal worshipers are calling out on their God to burn up the sacrifice, nothing is happening. And Elijah starts interacting with them and he's like, what's wrong? Is your God, you know, going to the bathroom or something? Is he... Read it, it's in there, First Kings 18. We are moving into right after this powerful experience where it is very clear who is God. So keep that in your mind. Elijah has just encountered the power of God in a very supernatural way. Watch what happens next. 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So <laughs> keep in mind the story. Just saw fire come down from heaven. Just saw the miraculous power of God to defeat 450 Baal prophets. I mean, just had experienced this. And then Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And Elijah says, 
oh my gosh. And he runs for his life. Are you seeing like, what? This is the experience. Verse four, but he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die saying, it's enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree and, and behold, an angel touched him and, and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. So here's a picture. Elijah, the mighty prophet of God who, who calls on him to reveal his power to these prophets under a broom tree saying, God, just take my life. I'm no different than, I'm, I'm done, I'm cooked. Turkey's done. I, I can't. This is the story. He's in the valley, having a hard time seeing a way forward. There's a few things that stand out to me in how the Lord ministers and cares for him. First, uh, notice that God did not come down hard on Elijah, which was definitely an option. This is definitely an option. A God who just proved his power I mean, he could have been like, what? You were there, brother. I just rained down fire from heaven. Why are you running from this one lady who threatens your life? What's wrong with you? This could have been the way that God dealt with Elijah in this moment. Uh, he doesn't. Instead, he provides Elijah with three things that I see in this text. Uh, touch. Food and rest. This is how he cares for Elijah in this moment. First thing, uh, two times in the text it says that an angel came and touched him. Now, there are a lot of things that can be said and done when someone is in a low place in a valley. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can say. There's a lot of things that you can do. But isn't it true, if you've ever been in that space, when things are dark, there is nothing quite like someone coming alongside you, putting an arm around your shoulder and offering you touch. Isn't that amazing? Simple touch. God provides this to Elijah through the angel. Physical touch. It says it twice. He, he offers him a hand. I think this is one of the most beautiful things that we actually offer to each other every time we gather in the name of Jesus. Physical touch, hugs. You get a hug when you come to church, hopefully. Or a high five, or a handshake, or knuckles, or something. There's something, there's something about physical touch that, that puts us in a place with somebody else and we realize I am not alone on the journey. And, and when somebody comes alongside you in a dark place and puts an arm around your shoulder, they don't have to say anything just to know somebody is with me in this space. 
offers something that words can't offer. Touch. Today, again, this is a gift that we can offer each other. And it's, it's meaningful. The second thing uh, that I see in this text is Elijah, he, he gets food two times. Again, two times there's touch through the angel. Two times he's instructed by the angel to get up and eat and drink. Simple sustenance, like fuel for the body. If you've ever been in a dark place or a dark season, isn't it kind of weird how like just the, the simple things of self-care and like eating and drinking enough water are the things that fall off right away? They, they seem too big. Like when you're, when you're in a dark season, you just stop taking care of your body. You stop taking care of those simple things like getting enough water and food. This angel shows up, offers him touch, and then bakes him some cakes and offers him some water. Not once. It happens more than once. He, he gets simple sustenance, food. There's something offered to him. This, this is a... It's not a bad thing to come alongside and offer somebody who's in a dark place. Again, there's something about offering touch, but when you show up in a place where somebody is overwhelmed and you pick up one of the tasks that, that seems like a simple task, but when you're in that place, it's not, and you do it for somebody on their behalf and you offer them food, you take them a meal, you offer them something to drink, this simple act is so powerful, so powerful. I think we're good at doing it around things like when you have a baby or when you're sick. Like, we're good at that. Like, can I bring you a meal? I, I think there's something about doing this really all the time when we're in dark seasons that we could show up and offer each other food. And there's something important about that. Touch and food. Uh, now, I'd love to know uh, what kind of cakes the angel cooked. Because... He eats these cakes and he goes on for 40 days. These are like supernatural energy cakes that the angel offers him. If we can get that recipe, we're going to be solid, right? These are super, super angel cakes. Um, that's what we'll call them, super angel cakes. Anyway, not related to what our, where I'm going. Last thing. So touch is offered, food is offered, and then, and then Elijah rests. He, he takes a couple of naps. <laughs> he literally just goes to sleep. Uh, he's, he's coming down off this mountaintop of experience of, of knowing God's power. And then under this broom tree and in this place where he's just with God, he sleeps. Aren't naps kind of supernatural? Anybody believe that? <laughs> Come on, we got some nappers in here. Sometimes you just need a nap. Like, sometimes you just got to turn it off for a second. Are you with me? I think we live, I, I think the culture that we live in doesn't think that naps, well, actually, I, I take that back. I think the culture we live in is recognizing, oh, we're going too hard. And so now you can work for big companies in our country that offer you nap pods at your actual workplace. Look it up. This is a real thing. Like, huh, we may be working way harder than we actually are designed to work. Things like Sabbath and rest are important. We're like, yeah, scriptures have been saying that from the beginning. Where have you been? Right? That's, I'm going to go on a weird rabbit trail if we keep going there. 
Um, rest, taking a nap. <laughs> I, find, I find this experience with Elijah helpful because I think God is, he's, show, he's actually showing us how to minister and care for somebody who's in this place by offering these simple things. <laughs> Touch, food, and rest. Now, when Elijah is rested and, he, and when he's fed and fully aware that God is present with him, even in the valley, God speaks. Verse 9. Then he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. This is very consistent uh, with the nature of God in the scriptures. He comes to Elijah with a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? You find this really a lot of places in scripture. Go back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden. When they botch it and they hide because they screwed it up, right? They're hiding. God comes and he says, where are you? Now, did he ask that because he was confused where they were? He's helping them process something. Why are you hiding? Who told you that you were naked? These are, these are questions that God extends. If you follow Jesus through the Gospels, what does he do a lot of? He asks questions. He's actually drawn, he's helping people understand themselves, their viewpoints, their perspectives. He comes to Elijah in this place after offering him touch and rest and sustenance, and he asks him the question, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you in this place? And Elijah's response reveals kind of what's going on in his heart. How does he respond? Man, I'm getting after it down here. And I think I'm the only one left. I am busting tail. Like, I am, I am jealous for the things of God. I am faithful to the things of God. I'm doing everything I should be doing. And, and I think I'm it. I, I think I'm the last one that's here doing the good things. And now they're coming to, they're headhunting me. Like, I'm, I, they're coming after me. Watch what the Lord does next. Verse 11. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave and behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Same question. What are you doing here? Again, we see this, this, this picture of God demonstrating to Elijah. He'd already seen it once, but... God is demonstrating to him who he is, his power, 
his authority. And, and, he, and he sees all of these things. There's fire, there's earthquake, and, the, and God isn't in those. He speaks to him in a whisper. He's showing Elijah, listen, these are big things that are happening, but I command these things with my voice. I have, I have power over all of these things. These things, like, obey me. What are you doing here, Elijah? How did you get here? Elijah responds again, verse 14. You're going to hear something very similar to the first response. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord. The God of hosts for the people of Israel forsaking your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. Here, here's what I think the Lord's doing with Elijah. This is, this is how I, I read this. I think that the Lord is doing a heart check with Elijah. I think that the Lord is helping Elijah see himself, how he's viewing the situation. He's helping Elijah see that maybe he's elevating his abilities in the story more than trusting God's sovereignty. And the fact that he asks him twice and he gives the same response, there's something... There's something at work <laughs> in his heart. Two times. He says, I'm the only one at work here. Here's what I think is revealed in the valley of depression. The valley of depression reveals the hopelessness of our efforts. Things got dark because he was seeing the situation through what he had to offer the situation. And what he could see is, I think I'm the only one left, which later he finds out he's not. I'm the only one that's left. I'm the only one that cares. I'm the only one that's doing anything that you've asked. I, I, it's me alone. And I can't. I don't have enough. I can't right the wrongs. I can't address the evils. It's not working. When he comes to terms with that and he's looking at it through the lens of his own strength, he's, un he's undone. He's like, I quit. It truly would have to be an act of God alone for things to change. <laughs> and I think the Lord is, in those moments, is saying to us, yes. True. Y yes. You're in my hand still. Yes, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, you can get yourself out of this one. This is actually the gospel. We got ourselves into a mess that we can't get ourselves out of. And we need to be rescued. We need a savior. We need somebody that's beyond us. For those of you that have walked in the valley of depression, maybe you're there now, you actually have an intimate relationship with this reality because when you look around at your circumstances and maybe your responsibilities and, and pain that's compiled in your life, and you, you recognize, I don't have what it takes to move forward, and that is an overwhelming reality that causes you to get real dark. How can I? How is this gonna work? And this is the miracle of God. He knows that too. 
He knows that you don't have what it takes. And he doesn't shame or ridicule you. He doesn't condemn. He actually, the God we serve steps into the darkness. The God we serve entered the valley. The, the God we serve is well aware of these low moments in our life. And he's not standing at a distance going, just get out of there. He shows up himself to offer a hand to say, I am with you in the valley. And as David says, even though I'm walking here, I'm not going to fear. Why? Because you're with me. You think about Elijah's story. I mean, just, just think for a moment maybe how he was viewing himself. He just saw God's power, and now he's in a like, discouraged, dark place. How can I be here? I just saw God work. How could I possibly be in a spot where I don't think he... Of course he can. Why? If you're a follower of Jesus and you've ever been, ever felt shame about feeling like, oh, I think I'm supposed to be happy all the time or something. Or like, if I follow Jesus, aren't I supposed to be victorious? We're always victorious. Yes, Jesus is victorious. I'm with you in that. But if Elijah experiences a dark moment, uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to vote that Elijah's relationship with the Lord may be a little closer than yours. If he experienced a dark moment and we see his humanity in that, I think it's probably somewhat normal for you to have those waves too. When I was writing, uh, writing this, this week, um, I was in our office off the back of our garage, which is known as the hole in my house. Because um, we like renovated this little room off the back of our garage during COVID and it's a hole. Uh, so I was back there writing and, and, I, and I, I got to this place of processing the story and, and thinking about, I was just overcome by the amazing, the amazing grace of Jesus that, that he offers, these three things that we just talked about, he offers all of these in himself. So, so follow me for a second. God, God himself, he... He didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself to the form of a servant. Philippians. Jesus, he embodied flesh, and he walked amongst us so that, we could, so that people could touch him and see him and hear his voice. He offered humanity, broken humanity, touch. <laughs> Physical touch. Like he literally was God touching people. This sounds super weird. <laughs> Are you with me, though? He offered himself. And now, the, the fascinating thing is, is that we are the body of Christ. He's the head, we're the body. So when we come together in the name of Jesus, when the body is functioning, we are actually operating as his hands and feet, offering the physical manifestations of God's grace to the isn't that amazingly cool? So it is important when we walk through the door and we give each other a hug because it's as if the Lord is present with us offering us a hug. Jesus in John 6 says, I am the bread of life. Later in, in John, he says, I am living water. I am the very sustenance that you need to survive. I have 
I have everything that you need to make it through. And, and in Matthew 11, he says, come to me all you are, who are weary and burdened and I will give you Everything that we need is in Jesus. If you are in the valley today, the king of the universe extends a hand. Wow. There's hope. There's hope today because of Jesus. Worship team, you can come. Will you, will you pray with me? Lord, this morning, we're humbled by how you have always worked in the world. But this story of Elijah just gives us a picture of your care and your kindness and your patience and your grace that was fully manifested by sending your son to us. You endured the cross. There is no valley deeper than what you experienced in the flesh. And our hope today comes from believing that you have entered death and you are resurrected. That you can offer life, that you can offer hope, that, that you can bring and usher in peace, that you, that you have that authority and that power. to bring what's dead to life. So we bring our lives to you. Lord, we bring our valleys and the dark places of our hearts and minds and our failures and our weaknesses. Lord, we, we bring them to you this morning. And we ask that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive your presence with us today. The hope of the world. that you would heal us, that you would mend us, that you would comfort us, that you provide sustenance for us, that you would bring rest. Thank you that you're here this morning as we gather in your name. Amen. Will you stand as we close in worship?